Hey everybody. Hey everybody. Welcome back to our, our Odd Pod, Pod podcast. podcast. A podcast dedicated to the odd, the macabre, and everything else in between. And everything in between. Hello again. It's me, Billy. And it's Felicia. Why is that funny? <laughs> Just the way you said it. I'm tired. It's uh, seven in the morning. Yes. You've been up all night. I just woke up. More or up. less. I copped a little snooze on the couch last night. Well. Couldn't help it. I am within the first 24 hours of dose two of the Moderna COVID vaccine. And I am zero for zero for getting the vaccine. I know. I tried. <laughs> I just want to see people again. But you know what? It's uh, so far so good. It's not being super nice to me, but Aww. you know, that's okay. It's all right. Just like typical vaccine achies. Yeah, well, that's the microchip making its Obviously, way into your nervous system. It's the white blood cells in my body attacking the nano chip that the government inserted yep. into me. Yes, <laughs> we'll do a whole episode on microchips dealing with the vaccine. I'm sure one yeah, day, someday, probably. Yeah. <laughs> When everyone turns into zombies and starts to be robots or I don't know, whatever. Whatever happens with Insert those Insert conspiracy theory of your choice. Yeah. Reptoids? I don't know. Mm. We're anyway, all a bunch of lizard people, I guess. So please forgive me if I'm a little sniffly and you can hear me breathing because I'm a, most of my breathing's coming from my mouth this week. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm a mouth breather. <laughs> welcome if you're new here yeah if you're new welcome um we got like a big time influx of followers on our facebook page because we shamelessly invited a bunch of people but a <laughs> lot of people responded and it felt nice it did feel nice um and we also got our first patreon yeah we have one whole patron on patreon it's pretty awesome thank you daniel thank you daniel you're um, the real one honestly yeah i posted about you on my facebook calling you a stranger but apparently you're not a stranger no daniel's one of my dudes thank you so much nice thanks dude now we're like professional right yeah we're like <laughs> we're professional podcasters we're thanks for super professional thanks for tuning in as we become full of ourselves and just oh no i am completely overwhelmed by all the support we got last night i had to turn off my uh smartwatch so i could sleep last night and i woke up to Turned my notifications on and my wrist was just like buzzing. You see what I mean though? I had to turn off my smartwatch. Well, I had the smartwatch before. I was getting before. too many notifications. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was a, a little bit overwhelming last night. I had like a full blown, like nervous energy panic attack yeah. thing happening. We went for many walks. <laughs> it was great. Uh, got those steps in though. You heard? <laughs> um, but I don't actually know too much about what we're talking about today really i know the name of the guy that we want to talk about i don't know anything else about him well you know what you're welcome because i didn't look it up at all because i could have in true billy fashion i finished my notes last night typical i don't know why we do that to ourselves <laughs> i don't either man it's just like anytime i have time to do notes it's like we just don't either do them. Something else comes up or I'm exhausted from the something else that came up before, you know? <laughs> so anyway. Listen, our podcast comes out in less than 24 hours now. Yeah. And we do this every, every week. Every week. 5 a.m. 
tomorrow morning. But you know what would help? Some more patrons. No. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So yeah, if you want, we can get this thing rolling. Let's do it. We've we've only been talking for five minutes. Wow. I know. So the person I want to talk to you about today is called, he's not called anything. His name is, or was. Is he dead? Yes, but that's not why. His name was John Alexander Lawson. He was born on August 12th, 1978 in San Francisco, California. Two parents, Cynthia Lawson and Timothy J. Lawson. Cynthia. His Facebook page, which still has around 837 followers. Like friends or followers? Followers. uh, Mentions that he attended Sonoma Valley High School at some point. Is his Facebook page still up? Yeah, but it's it's weird because it's not like a um, you know, when someone dies and then Facebook has a thing at least now where you can assign someone as like your benefactor. Yeah, and after you die, they can make your page a memorial page. Yeah, um, that has it, not been done. It has not been done. Maybe that happened before Facebook rolled out that feature. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, it has eight hundred thirty-seven followers. It mentions he attended Sonoma Valley High School at some point, and Sonoma is about an hour north of San Francisco. I'm not sure when or why they moved there. Maybe he was just born in a hospital in San Francisco and while they actually lived in Sonoma the whole time. Because like, oh, that like, makes sense. Kind of like he was born in the 70s. Mm, 1978. Yeah. Either way, <laughs> his family must have lived in California for a large part of his childhood. Okay. Now, it's important to note that John was notorious for fabricating stories about his childhood. Oh, okay. He would tell people that he was from Iraq and that his father was some sort of high priest or something. (laughs) I'm not saying that he made up what high school he attended. I'm just saying that we should probably take any bit of information that we get straight from the horse's mouth. Maybe like with a grain of salt. With a grain of salt, yeah. Okay. That's just like I go to Hogwarts on Facebook. So My favorite thing is like when you're trolling people on the internet, because we both know you do that. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Just took a sip of coffee. And they're like, oh, since the person who's listed from Hogwarts. Me, 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 me. You guys wish you just were attending Hogwarts. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. The Sorting Hat's like, get the fuck out of here. I also don't need to be called out for me trolling on Facebook, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> don't. If you are stupid on Facebook, she will find you. <laughs> and she will troll you. She has a very specific set of skills. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> this is what I do on my free times when I should be writing my notes. <laughs> uh, too true. Meanwhile, I'm just like playing Switch. <laughs> I'm obsessed with now, by the way, but that's neither here nor there. Listen, sometime around 1990, the Lawson family moved from their home in California to Forsyth County, North Carolina. That is a change. That is quite a change. And Mr. and Mrs. Lawson filed for divorce. Oh, sad. So while Papa Lawson moved back to California, Cynthia and Johnny Boy moved to Clemens, North Carolina. Okay. Do they have like family out there or? Nope. No idea? Just They just moved there. Uh, West Coast I should East say, Coast. Clemens is in Forsyth County. Okay. In 1998, Cynthia remarried. Johnny Larry James, Ew. whose three names tell me that he was a Tennessee native and that the it's new also family a serial killer. Yeah. 
and the new family would live together at 2749 Knob Hill Drive. Now, I want you to remember that address. Knob Hill Drive. This address is important because it would eventually become the hub of John Lawson's debauchery, insanity. I, don't I wonder know. if it's on Zillow. It's where the shit went down. It is not on Zillow. Did I you can, look? I can guarantee you that it's not. <laughs> so, in 2019, Viceland Was released... This like... Sorry. That's okay. I'm just, I'm super pumped. Yeah, let's hear um, it. When did the events go down? Uh, Late 90s through the 2000s. Oh, okay. Sorry. That, I was like, a, wow, that's recent. Yeah, pretty recent. In 2019, Viceland released a docuseries called The Devil You Know, which offers some interesting insights into the life and particularly the childhood of John Lawson. Okay. Director and producer of The Devil You Know, Patricia Gillespie. You're starting to sound like me with names. Told Oxygen.com. Oxygen. There were a lot of varying accounts, in large parts because he reinvented the story for people he met later in life. He told people he was from Iraq. He told people his father was some high priest. But the people who knew him as a child described him as a little off kilter, a little emotional, Things that might indicate the beginning of a mental illness, harming animals, consuming alcohol and drugs at a very early age. Well, that's like... Um, it's running out of breath. <laughs> you said torturing animals and what else? Harming animals, consuming alcohol and drugs at a very early age. That's one out of three for the homicidal triad. Yeah. The other one would be what? Abusing people? Uh, fire and bedwetting. Interesting. Okay. Never saw anything about him being a bedwetter, but you'll see he doesn't really fit. People don't usually go around like boasting about that. Though. But also he doesn't really <laughs> fit into what I would consider as a serial killer. No, I didn't say, I wasn't saying that he was. It was just like, oh, wow, that's like a tendency. Yeah. I feel like his animal harming was pretty sp specific, like specific. for reasons. Okay. Okay. I'm anyway, sure we'll get to it. His mother, Cynthia James, offers a different account. She says... All parents have arguments with their children and don't agree. True. Yes, John had some mental problems, but he wasn't a bad guy. TB, TB, TBD. James continued, at one point, describing her son as her little warrior. That's weird. They diagnosed him as being agoraphobic, schizophrenic, psychotic, uh, said James. That's when I started getting help for him, but to continue with the psychiatrist and so forth, it takes a lot of money. You got to remember the good things, and I block out any of the bad things. He wasn't by any means an angel, but he wasn't a bad person or a boogeyman or whatever phrases people have called him. Well, that's the reason why mental health services are so important to be accessible, but also like it's good that she got him help, but I can see where the system failed. Right. Especially if, unless it's just an excuse, right? It being it too expensive to continue. I mean, that kind of resonates, you know? Yeah. So, it was around this time in my research that I started to encounter some slightly mixed information. Someone from North Carolina could probably clarify things for me, but I have read that he and his mother relocated to a house on the outskirts of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Okay. After this was when he allegedly changed his name to Pazuzu Al-Jarad. <laughs> which we'll talk more about that later, okay? 
and started to get all anti-society on the supremely conservative Christian town of Winston-Salem. <laughs> However... It's interesting that he chose Pazuzu. Right. I know that all the crazy shit went down while he was living in Clemens on Knob Hill Drive. Yeah. Clemens is about 15 minutes from Winston-Salem, so I'm pretty sure that the conflicting sources are actually referring to the same house, mm -hmm. and he and his mother's relocation was actually just the point where they moved in with his stepfather, Johnny Larry James. Okay. We'll keep that in mind. So with all that needless confusion aside, <laughs> let's dive in. Okay. In 2002, John Lawson legally changed his name to Pazuzu Algerod. Now... Do we know why he changed it to Pazuzu? Because if you'll I've remember... I've seen his middle name listed as Allah and Illa. I wasn't able to find a definitive answer as to which name he actually used, but I did learn that Allah is an Arabic term that means deity or God with a lowercase g. Okay. And that the name Allah is God with an uppercase g. Is And that's uh, Allah is thought to have been derived from Allah. Okay. Right, makes sense. The God, a it. God. So essentially, at least in my mind, it doesn't really matter which one he went by. Right. The real question is, why Pazuzu? Well, I was going to say, because we've talked about Pazuzu before. If you have listened to this podcast before, you know that Pazuzu is the demon that possesses the little girl in the movie The Exorcist. Yes. I also like to say, even though I'm it pretty also sure... Comes we, Pazuzu is a reoccurring theme for us. Yeah, even though I'm pretty sure that I'm incorrect, I like to say that it's the full name of the popular Ouija demon or Ouija board scapegoat, Zozo. Yeah, no, they're the same, I'm pretty sure. Fairly certain. We, and by we, I mean me, talk a lot of shit about Zozo on this podcast. Yeah, you do. I'm just saying. Come at me, bro. <laughs> anyway, Pazuzu is a legendary demon king and arch fiend from Assyrian mythology. Okay. But Billy, what the hell is Assyria? But Billy, what the hell is Assyria? Well, Assyria was a Mesopotamian kingdom and empire of the ancient Near East. Not to be confused with the Far East. Like, you know, what Wait. you would think of as like stereotypically like Asian, right? Oh, I wasn't confused, but thank you for clarifying. It's situated roughly northeast of Iraq in an area that is known today as the Levant. Okay. This is interesting to me because I have met a fair amount of people in the past decade or so that have never heard of the Levant until Daesh really came to prominence. This isn't exactly related, but it is interesting, so just bear with me, okay? I'm bearing. Some of you are probably sitting there thinking, who or what is a Daesh? Well, I promise you that you have heard of them. Okay. Daesh is ISIS. Oh. Which stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. You know, I never thought about what that meant. I believe ISIS is what I've heard them referred to most commonly, but I don't think it is technically correct since their influence is not limited to Iraq and Syria, but expands into greater Syria as well as Lebanon, which are two of the four countries that historically make up the area collectively known as the Levant. Okay. The other two are Jordan and Palestine. Okay. So, ISIS, actual name is ISIL. ISIL. Which is Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. That's 
So interesting. Anyway, yeah, Pazuzu was an Assyrian demon. That, <laughs> that sounded so dismissive. I'm just over here like, wow. Lawson, henceforth referred to as Pazuzu, chose the moniker as an homage to the Middle Eastern entity. Okay. He began to craft this image of himself as a local eccentricity that began to instill fear into the community. Okay. Yeah, well, with a name like that. Pazuzu had done everything he could to make himself seem scary to the people in town, says Chad Nance, an editor of the Camel City Dispatch, who extensively covered the Pazuzu case in The Devil You Know. I believe that. Well, you showed me a picture of him, and he is kind of um, scary looking. Yeah. But you know what? Like, but like in a normal way, I think. Behind all the bullshit, I don't feel like he was a bad looking dude. No, like I, I remember when I told you I'm pretty sure I would have swiped on him on Tinder. <laughs> I mean, he was just like cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, one less facial tattoo. Yeah, well, you know. So Pazuzu had done everything he could to make himself seem scared. Oh, I said that already. Uh, he continues, he was trying to freak people out. He claimed to sacrifice animals. Edgelord. He claimed to be able to control the weather. He filed his, <laughs> he filed his teeth down with a Dremel. No. He had tattoos printed over his face. He became Winston-Salem's own Manson-esque icon of depravity. Did Manson have a face tattoo? Oh, that one. Yeah. That old thing. That old forehead tattoo. I think he got that after he went to prison, though. Yeah. Um, Gillespie notes how Al-Jarad fed off Winston-Salem's unique brand of conservatism to create his persona. We've been there, right? We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't accepted, Gillespie said. Step by step, he started to do more extreme things like the sacrificing the animals and the creation of this mythos around himself. The fact that he chose to take elements of Luciferianism and Islam, two religions that are incredibly discordant, and put them together shows that he was exactly reacting to his Christian post 9-11 community. So it's like he knew what he was doing when he was so bringing So he up keeps upping the ante and upping the ante. So yeah, like you're saying, he knew what he was doing. I also would like to say that that was a quote. I don't necessarily agree that like Islam is discordant. Well, I um, mean like after like 9-11, you can definitely agree that there was some kind of like stigma against and there's, people there's, of the Islamic faith. Definitely like fringe groups that are wild, like ISIS. Yeah. Um, but but he yeah. knew what he was doing when he was taking like something that people were fearing at the time and mixing it with something that people also fear, like Luciferism. Yeah. And well, Luciferianism is interesting because it's an actual belief in the entity of Lucifer. But like, if I'm not mistaken, he's the good guy. Well, like, if people didn't know what these symbols were meaning, they probably just attribute it to Satanism, which people don't understand necessarily. Like, I would consider, without being straight up, like, devil worship, you're worshiping the devil from the Bible, right? Right. I would consider Luciferianism, like, maybe the closest, because they do actually worship, like, that idea of the devil. Yeah. It's just kind of like, he's the good guy, he was punished, God's, like, deceiving Stroke everyone down. anyway okay, that's sir. that's not important another topic for another day the point is not what you and i would would know now as satanism right which is like a non-theistic yes kind of do what you will sort of 
religion. So Pazuzu's mental health is deteriorating at the same time that his group is starting to grow. So I would like to argue that it probably wasn't the best to begin with. I don't know about you, but to me, this seems like a recipe for disaster. Oh, it's... Also, if you mix in, like, their heavy drug use. Like, well, every single person that they interviewed in that thing that was a friend of Pazuzu is, like, a heroin user. Well, not everyone, but most of them. I was going to say, um, it's like North Carolina. I don't imagine there's a whole lot going on right there, especially, like, in the early 2000s. And I also heard or read a rumor that he had filed his teeth down while he was, like fucked up on meth just the sound alone of drilling teeth god, can you I, imagine doing it to yourself no. Ugh, no god i'm just saying i don't know that meth is a painkiller you know gonna have to say i don't know too much about meth but <laughs> i don't i just don't think of like stimulants as painkillers oh yeah anyway Ugh. i can't get over the sound I'm sorry yeah we'll play the sound for you no thanks much like other strangely charismatic weirdos throughout history, he begins to draw disenfranchised members of the poor and working classes to him. Having grown up in a community built almost exclusively of such people, I can kind of see it. Yeah. The residence, remember 2749 Knob Hill Drive, was remembered mm -hmm. by its occupants as a filthy and chaotic place filled with sexual promiscuity. Because what good cult didn't have a few sexually promiscuous overtones, am I right? I mean. There are reports of heavy drug use, heavy alcohol use, blood drinking, self and social mutilation, as well as animal cruelty and sacrifice. You had me up until the last part. There well, was, you maybe have lost me in the beginning. There were neighbors who said that they had like cats hanging from trees in the backyard. Oh my God. Is this like, a, like in a neighborhood? Yeah. Oh my God. Essentially, this place was a place where anything and everything was on the table. People would break things, fight like each nobody other. Nobody called the cops on this. They would urinate or defecate on the carpet, break furniture. Basically, there was no line that couldn't be crossed. I'm horrified. This paints a pretty good picture as to why the place was such a mess. Because there's a video of the cops going into this house, and it is trashed. Like... Just ankle deep trash everywhere. I just want to know how it got to this point without nobody being like, hey, maybe we should send somebody over there to check things out. Well, it really seems like townspeople only tolerated the presence of Al Jarad and his clan or whatever, like out of fear. Because he had kind of developed for himself like this mythos, you know, like this. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure, no, I'm certain animal abuse is illegal. Yeah, and they but... have cats hanging from the trees. But as animal, well, I mean, like, you still have to. Let's say he gets arrested. Right. You call the cops. He gets arrested. It's a small town. People know who called the cops. Then you have to deal with his people who are left. I, I'm both angry and horrified at the thought. <laughs> Meanwhile, his own acolytes begin to spread rumors amongst one another of oh, bodies dear. being buried in the backyard of two seven four nine Knob Hill Drive. They, like, bulldozed the place down. They had to. I guess we'll find out. Oh, dear. They set it on fire. In an interview with the Huffington Post, Bianca Heath commented on the rumors. Paz told everyone, but I never believed him. I'm sure no one else believed him either. He laughed about the skeletal remains when telling the story on why he did what he did. I never once saw the skeleton bodies. I honestly thought he was lying. Now, I'm not sure what to believe. 
So he was just telling people that he had dead bodies in the basement. In the basement or in the backyard? In the basement. Oh, dear. Excuse me. I mean, like, there's trash everywhere. You wouldn't see anything, I guess. But, like... Yeah. That's just gnarly. It's crazy. I cannot deal. (laughs) So Forsyth County deputies believed the first of Pazuzu's killings took place sometime after June 1st, 2009. 2009? Yeah. Oh, my God. Allegedly, the disposal of the corpse was aided by Amber Birch and Crystal Matlock. These were two of the women who identified as Algerod's fiancés. So basically, he had like a group of women yeah, that he no, considered. That's the least uh, surprising thing about all of this. A former friend of Pazuzu Algerod, Nate Anderson, Pazuzu. mentions Algerod's strange appeal in an interview. He had a twisted sort of charisma. It's the kind of charisma that isn't going to appeal to everyone, but certain minds are going to be drawn in by that. The misfits, the outcasts, people living on the edge, or people who wanted to live on the edge. (laughs) I am without words. (laughs) And Birch was believed to have killed a second male victim. That's Amber Birch. Was believed to have killed a second male victim in October of 2009, and Al Jarrod is believed to have helped bury this victim in the same backyard. Nope. Nobody saw this. And also, why the fuck have I not heard about this? I know, right? I'm su- I'm surprised. I know a thing you don't know. <laughs> that's, that's insane to me. I'm sorry. I'm just over here like floored. Well, also, he, there are rumors that he told people he was a cannibal. So I'm pretty sure Is I he, found like, actual it. actual a cannibal? I'm, I'm not sure. Because he said a lot of shit. Oh, that's and, true. Like, pretty much everyone that hung out with him was like, he said shit all the time. And we're just like, okay. They were like, okay, okay Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Pazuzu. Like the one dude, um, oh, yeah. he, he was a guy. He's like, everybody started to get into heroin. And like, I wasn't really into it. So he's I was just like casually into heroin. So I joined the military to get away. And he's like, but Pazuzu was full of shit. He's like, he told me one night I can never be knocked out. So I knocked his ass out. Like that was, that was basically <laughs> what he said. So he was kind of like, I feel like he was that friend who was there with him, like from the beginning mm-hmm. and kind of saw the, he like, saw the change he, when he left. It was like kind of crazy. But when he came back, it was like, like it's like insane. when parents come home from like a night out and like their house is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, okay. I actually talk about him. Oh, okay, cool. In the Viceland documentary. So the, I want to hear more about him. <laughs> in the Viceland documentary, The Devil You Know, which I finally watched last night. And admittedly, a lot of this information is coming from (laughs) a former friend of Pazuzu named Matt Flowers admitted that Birch had confided in him to having been coerced into helping the burial. Allegedly, something to the effect of help us bury this body or we're going to bury two bodies was used to threaten the young woman into compliance. (laughs) That is quite a threat. Yeah. Basically, in the documentary, she talks about how the one girl called her over, like, hey, come hang out with me and Pazuzu or whatever. And she gets there, and he's like, hey, we're burying this body, and you're helping, or we're going to kill you and bury just, you. I can just imagine the crazed look in his eye when he was saying that. Yeah, he looks wild, man. Yeah. Pretty sure we saw him at the ICP concert. Oh, my God. <laughs> just kidding. Great concert. <laughs> but there were 100% people on meth there. Oh, God. I'm not saying... All juggalos smoke meth. I'm saying there were two people at that concert 
that were very clearly methed out of their head. <laughs> but you know what? They were it, vibing. It was a vibe. Two of the best dancers there. Vibe checking. So in 2010, Al Jarad was convicted on a charge of accessory after the fact in the shooting death of 30-year-old Joseph Chandler, whose body was discovered near a river by police on June 7th of that year after his mother reported him missing. Al Jarad was released on probation for the crime shortly thereafter. Why? This is according to the North Carolina Department of Public Safety Records. North Carolina, we have to talk about the people we are letting off. The same year, he was also convicted of a misdemeanor assault of his mother, but she never went through with the prosecution. I feel sorry for his mom, but also like you really dropped the ball on this one. A little bit of enabling, I think. But you know, sometimes it's My just kind of warrior. It's hard to accept that your kid's bad, you know. But she knew he needed help. This was a chance for him to get some help, maybe. What's crazy is she lived in the house where two people were shot. I'm sorry, she did what? She lived in the house. Oh, my. Anyway, according to the Winston-Salem Journal. I believed in you. Deputies alleged that Al Jarad had choked his mother until she couldn't breathe. That's. And I realize that's an oddly constructed <laughs> sentence. I was like. <laughs> because if you squeeze hard enough, wouldn't they immediately not be able to breathe? Yes. Okay. Just. I just... <laughs> His 2010 run-in with the law prompted a judge to order a mental health evaluation for Al Jarad. Oh, good. Psychiatrists interviewed him to determine whether he was capable of standing trial. No. Al Jarad confessed his excessive drinking habit during the interview and said that he didn't bathe more than once a year, nor had he brushed his teeth in years. Doctors also noted he shook uncontrollably, had poor hygiene, and bad odor. Now, Al Jarad claimed that personal hygiene stripped the body of its defenses and warding off infection and illness. What is he like on some like 1400s bullshit with water? What? Something, yeah. Does he have rabies? Is he hydrophobic? Like The what? house is described as like smelling so bad. I imagine it smells something of like a hoarder's like situation. The guy said, one of the guys, I think the Nate guy I believe is who they're interviewing. Mm -hmm. He said you'd go to the house, and as soon as the door opened, you just got hit with like a wave of ammonia. Oh, my God. Because of the cats. Cat, I don't know. I don't ammonia? Think they, Cat piss? Sorry. people piss. Oh, and my God. They also God. had like a pack of dogs that lived in the house. Oh, my God. They talk about people just like human beings squatting in the corner taking a shit, and like no... Nobody knows who cleaned it up or if the dogs ate it or what. Or if just nobody. Thank you. This is just how I wanted to start my day. <laughs> so this was the time I referenced earlier when his mother stated that psychiatrist concluded Al Jarad suffered from schizophrenia, agoraphobia, and alcoholism. Right. Agoraphobia added to his depression and caused him to turn to alcohol to cope. Nonetheless, they said that he was treating his conditions with medication and deemed him fit to aid his own defense. Now, I'm pretty sure agoraphobia is the fear of open spaces. Out going outside. Yeah. Yeah. Crazily enough, it gets crazier. Police had performed at least one half-assed search of the home, but it took them five years to complete a thorough enough examination to turn up the skeletal remains of Al Jarad's two known victims. Well, I believe it. Five years. From what you're describing, it sounds like a hellhole. That's unbelievable. And it would probably take five years to get to the basement, honestly, if you have so much 
like other stuff to take care of first because like what isn't evidence at that point yeah i mean there there's probably paraphernalia everywhere oh man so october 5th 2014 the skeletal remains of joshua frederick wetzler 37 and Mm -hmm. tommy dean welch were found both were determined to have died after being shot According to autopsies, Wetzler was shot three times in the head and at Ugh. least four times around his torso. Ugh. Welch was shot, this says once in the back of the head, but I read a different article that said the autopsy said he was shot twice in the back of the head. Welch's remains were found in a shallow grave under a fire pit in the backyard, while Wetzler's remains were found in a shallow grave near the exterior basement stairs of the house at... Knob Street. 2749 Knob Hill Drive. Knob Hill. <laughs> um questions that's the end are you serious no i'm just kidding i was like <laughs> <laughs> i i don't have any questions yet um do they know anything about the victims or was it just um i guess what i'm trying to say is is it people that he were living in the house well the circumstances as to how the two men came to be associated with al Jarad are pretty unclear that's what i was trying to get to because words are not my friend um I didn't want it to know if, like, if they were a victim of like Alderist attacking him off, like, on the street, or no, it, they both happened in the home. Oh, okay. So I'm pretty sure um, Wetzler lived slept on the couch, according to the documentary "The Devil You Know." Wetzler was one of the sort of wayward souls with whom Al Al Gerard had surrounded himself. Okay. Wetzler had been going through it, man. Um, he bought a farm with his wife. Okay. He got screwed over by the bank and lost the farm. Aww. His wife had taken another job and the two separated. At some point, Wetzler began selling drugs. Again, I don't know the exact circumstances, but his house had been raided. Okay. He caught a felony drug charge for mushrooms. Mushrooms. Because he'd had them mailed, which I was unaware made it a felony. Okay. Obviously, thanks to the demonization of felons in our country and the ongoing war on drugs, it began. It became impossible for him to find work. I believe that. Did um, Pazuzu ever find work? Or was he just like he never worked a day in his life? I don't think he worked. Oh. I'm pretty sure his mom paid for everything. Cynthia. But Wetzler Why? lost the small business that he had. I think it, he was like a hoof trimmer or something. Okay. I'm um, sure that's a thing. He lost custody of his son. <laughs> No. Eventually, he had found his way to Pazuzu like many, like any number of lost individuals seeking camaraderie. Just lost souls. Oh, that's heartbreaking. According to his mother, this is Pazuzu's mother. Cynthia. Yes. They were just friends as far as I knew. They liked to sing music. He didn't have anywhere to stay. They turned his heat off or something, and he asked if he could sleep on the couch. I didn't have a problem with it. I enjoyed John having friends. I guess I didn't realize Cynthia's living in the house with all the bodies and like shit and pack of rabbit dogs or something. Yeah, her room and the kitchen were like the two cleanest rooms in the house. What? How big was Not this great, house? Not great, but it was, pretty, it was a pretty decent size. I don't know where it came from, James recalled of the killing of Wetzler. I really honestly think that he just didn't know what he was doing. He's just he having was, some kind of like out... He was not himself. He was on drugs or alcohol or both probably. He's just lashing out or something. He's having like some kind of. He's throwing a tantrum. A tantrum. 
was gonna say he's having some kind of outbreak but that's not the word but also i have no idea as to the events surrounding welch's death but i do know that it funsies probably i do know that it's alleged that birch actually killed him and al gerard helped her bury the body okay does birch ever get in trouble well jumping forward in time several years on March 9th, 2017, Amber Birch pled guilty, pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, armed robbery, and accessory after the fact to the murder. Probably helping hide the body. Yeah, hiding Wetzler's body. Yeah. Tommy Dean Welch had reportedly been at Al Gerard's home along with Birch and others. Prosecutors said Birch shot him twice in the head with a 22 caliber rifle as he sat on the couch. So, like, I don't know the circumstances behind that. If he did something to her, if she was coerced, like, yeah. I don't know. But what I'm reading is she day. shot him in front of people. And then and nobody said anything. Helped, helped her bury the body. And just nobody would. Okay. Anyway. At some point during when you're speaking, I'll stop being surprised. But uh, the three were arrested and the house was condemned and eventually torn down. Oh, good. <laughs> There's no amount of sage that can clean that place. So as news of the killings broke, obviously there was a media shitstorm surrounding the case. There were even celebrations. The documentary that I think I may have mentioned once or twice. Just the, once or the twice. The Devil You Know <laughs> actually shows people celebrating and having like barbecues or picnics or whatever. Well, can you imagine? I mean, it's kind of fucked up. No, but, but can you imagine? They've lived next to this heathen, literally, um, just a nightmare of a person for like the past over 10 years, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, it smells terrible. It looks terrible. And for some reason, nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they're arrested and they've torn down the house. Yeah. The property value probably went up and that's why they're celebrating. Well, it's kind of fucked up, but I mean... I guess it was kind of like a stain on the neighborhood being removed. Well, can you imagine being their neighbor? Yeah. <laughs> I think really the main thing is people didn't have to be afraid anymore. It's yeah, well, they spent so much like time being afraid of this one dude for some reason that nobody thought they could do anything about, and now he's gone. But to me, it's kind of sad to think about because... I feel like some of the people who had gathered around Pazuzu didn't have anything else, you know? Like the one place where they could be themselves That's and feel sad. free had been taken away, you know? I understand where you're coming from. That obviously doesn't excuse murder. But, but you also, know. like, that is a direct failure on the mental health services that people don't have access to. Right. And that's an entirely different conversation. Right. But... Cynthia enabled her son to be able to do all of this stuff and allowed people to stay in her house that such circumstances could take place. Right. I can I can feel the sense of relief that the neighborhood would have felt if they were to be like gone. You know, I feel also though on in the same note like some of the people who hung around him, they probably felt like a little relief too. Yeah. It was weird though because the one guy who like didn't get into heroin or whatever mm -hmm. um flowers not about that Matt flowers i think his name was he came back from the military the whole documentary every time you see him he's either smoking a cigarette or drinking or he's both probably stressed out so like he has some sort of 
probably like PTSD that he's dealing with. He said Pazuzu would call him all the time and be like, have you killed anyone in Iraq? Did you kill anyone yet? I, I bet that is very uh, traumatizing. But at the same time, there was a scene where he just kind of like got sort of reflective and he's like, I miss my friend, man, you know? Well, that's a whole other thing that has to deal with like abuse, but. I feel like it's probably hard to see your friend kind of go down that road too, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like losing a friend to like, you know, like different beliefs. Literally lost his friend like to drugs. You yeah. Yeah. It's like you start off with like somebody who's pretty cool and like okay and then like they just go down this weird rabbit hole of like drugs and alcohol. You start adding in harder drugs. And it's like And you get into some kind of like weird belief system that they're going after. And your choices are to follow them down this road or go back to the place that rejected and you. All of a sudden you yeah. have no idea who this person is anymore. Yeah. We got heavy here. I know, man. I'm it's... so sorry, guys. I don't know. Like, it's fucked up. I'm glad that they caught him, but still kind of sad, you know? It is sad. It's um, it's sad for a different reason other than sadness. Now, Gillespie, the aforementioned producer and director of the once or twice mentioned documentary. <laughs> Three or four times now. Remember her? Patricia, the oxygen interview? Yeah. Well, she said that many of the facts surrounding the crimes were lost or sensationalized in the initial reports. Okay. Obviously. Well, Um sensationalism and i'm gonna read a pretty long quote by her and it summarizes everything so well okay so speaking on the frenzy gillespie said i think when you're working in any kind of journalism there's a desire to please your advertisers mm -hmm. and my work is not exempt from that reality people have realized that sex and violence sells and that was leaned into in the media such that a lot of the facts were obscured there's certainly a lot of elements of an adult nature. Mm -hmm. Some outlets were calling it a sex cult. And it's like, well... It's less sex it, cult than... It wasn't really a sex cult. It was a bunch of people living in a dirty house. It was a bunch of girls that were more or less being abused to the point that they abused other people. Yeah. Because they were left in a dirty house with a lot of drugs. They were hit and threatened. I think it's easier to say, oh, look, the brides of Satan than it is to point to systemic misogyny and a general disregard for poor people. You know what? I'm here for that entire quote. We let those people disappear, she continued. We often tell these stories about murder with the time of death and the blood splatters and the gun residue, but we rarely look at the shrapnel of violence that embeds itself in the larger community that I think deserves a look. I've got, I've got chills. That's upsetting. It's just like a strong, that's powerful stuff. It is. I literally have like chills from that. What's that? Dan, Patricia. I'm leaking. <laughs> uh, I really wish that was the end of what I had to say because that is fucking beautifully said and kind of powerful. Yeah. Unfortunately, sorry. No. <laughs> There's a bit more to be said. Okay. Because in the early hours of October 28th, 2015, Al Jarad was found dead in his prison cell at Central Prison in Raleigh, North Carolina. Ugh. The death was ruled a suicide. He bled to death as a result of a deep cut on his left arm. Oh, dear. The instrument Al Jarad used remains unknown. There are myths that he used his teeth. I don't think that's true. The specific circumstances of the death remain mysterious. The police withheld considerable information from the public, including how exactly he died specifics about the wound 
whether there were any weapons in his cell, mm -hmm. if he was on suicide watch, or if he had ever attempted suicide before. In fact, some of the people interviewed in The Devil You Know did not seem entirely sure if the situation was, in reality, a suicide at all. So. Oh my God. What do you think? That's insane. I, I'm sorry. Man. I wonder if there's like a way to like, why is it being kept all under like hush hush? I know, man. Like, like what happened? You know what? I didn't watch the last episode of the documentary. Uh, I should probably watch it. <laughs> Maybe if we can find out anything, we can put that as like a mini, like an addendum on yeah, our Patreon. Maybe. That quote, like I, I copied that yeah. last night. It did not affect me like that. <laughs> no, that was a pretty powerful uh, quote. It's just sad. That is sad. For them, you know, like not necessarily him, just like all the people that he affected. And he, it kind of all started like, it's just sort of like a snowball effect of failure. Yeah. Like he had very clear mental issues that were never dealt with obviously continuously dealt with Contin which is what a lot of mental health issues need so he self-medicated and then he just kind of sucked these people down into this void with him yeah that is heartbreaking i was not expecting such a heavy episode today i know man Whew. all right <laughs> first time crying on a podcast oh i'm gonna give you the biggest hug right oh, now man. all right <laughs> damn that's all i got well, if you need a support group. <laughs> yeah, man. Talk to someone. Uh, there are like always avenues, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it may be. If you're having like drug issues, if you're having suicidal ideations, you know, there's the National Suicide Hotline. There's like no end of toll free numbers that you can call and try to get people on the other line that actually want to help you. You know. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's all I got. I don't know how to end this episode. Um. Well. Let's end it on a brighter note. Let's end it on a brighter note. We have our link tree set up. Yeah, you set that up last night. So instead of going to, and the URL is subject to change, but you'll hear it here at the end of every episode. <laughs> um, right now it's linktr.ee front Forward slash OOPP. So someone, basically, someone said it was O2P2. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It took me like a split second. Like, and I was like oh, yeah, oh. me too. <laughs> it's like O squared, P squared, right? Yeah. Um, P squared. <laughs> yeah, but most of our links are there. I can't, for the life of me, figure out how to pull up the Apple, <laughs> or, I mean, the Amazon, the Amazon Music link to add to the link tree. Yeah. Um, We're still figuring out some um, behind the scenes stuff. Our Twitter's on there. Um, our Instagram's on there. You can still go to www.ouroddpodpodcast.com um, and find basically all the links that are on the link tree. We have our first patron. We're going to start putting out some behind-the-scenes stuff, some extra. And we're doing a bonus episode today. So, Daniel, you have something to look forward to. Yeah, it's we're going to do like mini-sodes. Um, yeah. The first tier of the podcast, or the first tier of the Patreon which is included in the, you know, each tier, you get the tier beneath it. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll send you postcards, but... We're still figuring all that out. Be patient with us. 
Um, and you know we what? We appreciate every single person listening. Everyone who's been like supporting us on social media. But for now, I think we should just end the episode. Like, yeah. So until next time, we, we are, are the, the Boneses, Boneses and, and we, we are out. out.